halls with gifts of scratches. Scratchy, scratchy, scratch. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Tis the season to be grateful. Givey, givey, give. Give, give, give. Don your friends with cheery faces. Grinny, grin, grinny, grin, 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 grin. Give the gift of grinny, grin, grin. This holiday, give the gift of scratchers from the California Lottery. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 or older to purchase player claim. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and uh, WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and consulting company, uh, or if you have any suggestions or ideas for Deadline DC, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Welcome to all of you watching me on Periscope TV. Now everyone can watch me on Periscope TV at Periscope TV, excuse me, Periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. You can also watch Deadline DC on Facebook by visiting tinyurl forward slash BB Facebook Live. Today in the first half hour of the show, we're going to discuss the surge in COVID cases with Dr. Robert Bollinger of John Hopkins School of Medicine. In the second half hour, we're going to discuss the uh, Biden transition and the uh, Trump clown coup uh, with our provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today uh, is uh, Abdullah Fayyad of the Boston Globe and progressive activist Mark Gormaldi. First, for our, now for our first guest, Dr. Robert Bollinger. Dr. Bollinger is the R, uh, Raj and Kamala Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at John Hopkins University School of Medicine, and he holds joint appointments in international health at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in community health care at the John Hopkins School of Nursing. Dr. Bollinger has more than 30 years of experience in international public health, clinical research, and health education. Dr. Bollinger, thanks very much for joining us today. I know you must be very busy uh, given the uh, current COVID surge. Thanks, Brad. Nice to be here. Let's start with that. Uh, I think everybody uh, has read or seen stories about the surge in COVID-19 cases. How bad is it? 
Uh, well, it's uh, it's the worst we've ever had. We're still number one in the world and continuing in that direction and much higher rates than we had even earlier in the spring. Um, it's just we're in that uh, expected surge into the, the fall that everybody's been predicting. Yeah, it, uh, we had you on several months ago on the show. Uh, and you talked about that unless drastic steps were taken, uh, we were headed for another surge. Uh, and uh, here we are. I mean, it, it just seems, let me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. But it's, is it true that if we had back, let's go back to last March or February when COVID uh, first reached our shores. It seems to me that if we had taken strong preventative measures back in March. Uh, my guess is just, I'm a layman, I don't know, many Americans would have died, but we wouldn't have got to the point where now we're over 250,000 Americans have died from COVID and we're counting very fast. Uh, is that true? If we had taken this seriously, if there had been lockdowns, governors at different states had taken stronger actions, the president had treated had, had treated this COVID uh, pandemic seriously, uh, it wouldn't have been as nearly as bad as it is now, or, or, is I, or am I wrong about that? Well, there's, there's uh, no question that if we as a country had done uh, what folks in Europe had done, for example, we would have saved a lot of lives, I mean, as they did. Now, of course, they're they're facing a surge now, but they avoided a, a second, uh, you know, big surge that we had during the summer, uh, because they locked down and they and they uh, followed you know, procedures uh, that were protective. So, you know, there's no question that we could have um, and and probably should have uh, done a better job. And and I think the, you know, uh, you know, we have to take responsibility ourselves for not, you know, I mean. We shouldn't have to wait for people to tell us to wear a mask when you've got an infectious disease um, uh, raging through the community. When you see your own community members, family members, neighbors getting sick, I mean, it's common sense. We as a society, for a significant percentage of our society, chose not to, to do the common sense things, and now we're suffering for it. Now, let me ask you, uh, obviously, this uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving uh, in uh, three days on Thursday. Uh, the uh, Center for Disease Control has uh, advised Americans not to travel uh, during the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, what you, do you follow that advice? Do you think that's a sound recommendation? Yeah, absolutely. I follow it in our own families, and I've recommended it to everybody. In fact, I've been recommending it long before the CDC has recommended it, because um, I would have liked to see the CDC make that recommendation before the election. I think it's interesting they waited till after the election to, to make that recommendation. Um, but uh, by that time, people have already made the travel plans. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, actually, I, I agree with those, those recommendations. It's, it's, this is about the worst time. I mean, I, I tell people, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you want to think about, do you want to spend your time with your family this Thanksgiving or in the intensive care unit at Christmas? Yeah, well, that's a pretty stark, clear, and sensible choice, uh, and I hope Americans are going to follow uh, your recommendation. I know I'm not going anywhere uh, for Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully no one in my family is either. Uh, anyway, let, let's uh, try in the in the news uh, 
we just listened to. Uh, there's all sorts of talk now about uh, vaccines against the pandemic. What do you know about the vaccines? Well, it's it's. Listen, Brad, this is really good news. Uh, uh, at a time we've had a lot of bad news, this is really good news. The fact that we've got at least two, probably three vaccines now as of yesterday that, that seem to have some good benefit in 10 months, this is a world record uh, in developing a vaccine. So this is good news. The challenge now is going to be get the vaccines out to people that need them, get the public to have confidence in the safety and the efficacy of the vaccine so they'll actually use them. And then we can turn this down. And in the meantime, keep wearing masks and keep your social distancing until that time we can we can get this virus under control of the vaccine. Between now and then, uh, I, I, it's just sad to see people become a statistics when we're so close to the end to the goal line. Um, this is not the time to take your foot off the gas. This is the time to, to, to really push forward so we can get the vaccine out and save a lot of lives. Uh, you know, what do you think the problem here is? I mean, in World War II, uh, the government asked Americans to make all sorts of sacrifices for the war effort. Uh, millions of men went overseas uh, and women went overseas uh, to fight in uh, Asia and Europe and lost their lives. And the nation responded pretty well to that plea. Why can't why do you think Americans have so much problem, uh, you know, following a simple, you know, rules like wearing a mask? Uh, it, you know, it, it just boggles my imagination. Is it now, you know, there are a couple of theories here. One theory is that, you know, the president has not taken this seriously uh, and has uh, seemed to go out of his way uh, not wearing a mask at all sorts of political gatherings. Why couldn't Americans make the level of sacrifice now that they made during World War II, for example? Well, it's a really, uh, that's a really good and difficult question, uh, Brad. I think, you know, when you put that in perspective, uh, during World War II, the, the, the four years of the war, we lost 400,000 Americans in World War II, roughly. And we're headed right for that in about a year of COVID. We're already at close to 260,000. We're gonna surpass the number of Americans who died in World War II from this epidemic. So why has it been so hard? I honestly don't have a, uh, I don't think there's one good answer. I think there's been a lot of misinformation. There's been inconsistency in the messaging. I think we, um, I, I don't exactly understand it either. I think. Uh, you know, people are, most people are willing to wear a seatbelt or not drive drunk because they're concerned or, or they're willing to accept a regulation that says you shouldn't drive drunk or run red lights because you might run into somebody's, your neighbor or somebody's child on the street. So we, we can prevent that. We're, we're okay with that. But for some reason, we can't, we're not okay with wearing a mask, which is a whole, a whole lot simpler and can save lives as well. Okay, uh, Dr. Bollinger, we're going to go to a break now for our radio listeners. Uh, after this short break, we're going to continue with our uh, Periscope TV listeners. And again, our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Bollinger, uh, the School of Public Health at John Hopkins uh, University School of Medicine. We'll be back right after this break. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back. 
Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Bob Bollinger, who is the Raj and Kama Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the John Hopkins, the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Bollinger, let me ask you this question. Uh, what immediate, well, let, let me uh, uh, pursue a question we dealt with in an earlier segment. Uh, do you have any sense of how long it's going to be until, assuming, I, I believe the CDC is going to have hearings on one of these vaccines soon. If the CDC approves the vaccine, how long do you think it will be? And I guess it would be a while before the vaccine is ready for general distribution and application. So the, the steps are actually first, the FDA has to approve the vaccine, yeah. not the CDC. And then the CDC would weigh in with guidance about how to distribute that vaccine once it's approved by the FDA. Uh, my understanding is the FDA is meeting on the 10th of um, December um, for that initial decision with the Pfizer vaccine. And I presume the other vaccine will come soon after that for consideration by the FDA. And, you know, I think I know that the CDC is working on distribution guidelines and plans right now. So I could uh, I'd anticipate a phased uh, response that's going to be relatively quick, we hope. We're in the initial phase, maybe soon after uh, the 10th of this month, uh, we start seeing the vaccine being distributed to the states. And then the states would then have to distribute it based on their priorities, um, probably through recommendations from the CDC to people that are, you know, high high risk, maybe first responders, healthcare workers, people working in nursing homes followed by the elderly and those at high risk. So over the next sub subsequent two or three months, we'll start to, start to see a lot more vaccine being distributed, we hope, and then reach the general public, uh, you know, early spring, I would hope. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, in 58 days, we're going to have a new president. And what would your advice be to uh, President-elect Biden uh, and his public health advisors on, you know, get fighting this thing. Uh, there's some talk about, you know, a general lockdown that could last several weeks. Uh, what would you advise uh, the new president how to fight this pandemic? Well, first of all, the, pre the new president's got really smart, excellent people on his advisory committee, some of whom I know very well. And uh, so he's getting a lot of good advice in addition to, I'm sure, unsolicited advice from me and others. But uh, I think the kinds of uh, plans that I've heard about make a lot of sense to me. That would be to greatly expand uh, uh, testing uh, and then uh, contact tracing uh, beyond that and strengthen the public health response in conjunction with the dis distribution of the vaccine and making sure that that vaccine that's distributed is done in such a way that it reaches the communities that need it the most. Because what we don't want is to have the vaccine only given to communities that, that can afford it, for example, when the biggest burden of this disease is affecting disproportionately communities of color, for example. So having strategies to make sure we push the vaccines and the testing and the other support that's needed uh, to the communities facing the greatest burden, I think is the highest priority. I think we have to work on making sure we're we're supporting the healthcare workers who are really struggling right now all over the United States, particularly now in the Midwest. They're just getting overrun. Uh, make sure they have PPE, make sure they have sufficient staff, make sure they have the resources they need to provide care. And finally, really strengthen the, uh, a consistent message for the whole country about masking. I'm not sure a lockdown is what's necessary. 
as much as consistent messaging and clear communication uh, so that the rest of the, com- the rest of the country can uh, can can buy into this and do what's necessary to slow this down. Okay. Uh, there is a consideration, although I don't see it happening before uh, January 20th next year, uh, there's all sorts of discussion about the need for a pandemic uh, stimulus package. Uh, from a health a- uh, health aspect, what do you think should be in that stimulus package whenever it comes? And it will come eventually. It may not come until after uh, Joe Biden's president. But what should be in it from a health care point of view? Well, I think we have to make sure that we have um, the supplies, the PPE, as I said, and the personnel necessary to care for people that are sick uh, and to help prevent the infection. I think the stimulus package is is also important for the economy, which is also important for health in other ways, right? So uh, the other health consequences of COVID, of course, is that we've had a shutdown of the economy. We've had disruption of healthcare in other ways. We've had a reduction, for example, in the number of children getting regular vaccines. Uh, so there's a lot of conse- health consequences that need to be addressed and I think could be addressed uh, with, with the stimulus. Uh, what would you, uh, one other question, because this is becoming an issue in some places, uh, a couple of big cities have uh, just closed their schools and gone back uh, to online learning. I know York City has, uh, Boston has. Uh, what advice would you uh, give to the uh, parents of school children? Uh, are their, their kids safe? in schools or are they better off right now uh, with online learning? Well, it's, it, you know, it's like any other part of, the, uh, of society. It really depends on the community you're in. You have to track, you know, to see how high the rates are. If the rates are really high in a community, you know, schools aren't going to be very safe. And you don't want the kids to, the kids will get sick. They may not get as sick, but they're going to bring the infection home. And we don't want that as well. But we have to recognize the, the burden that this puts on the families, right, and on the kids, right? I mean, there are kids uh, who are suffering because they're not in school. Um, so this is a tough balance that we've got to figure out. And I think for the time being, as I said earlier, we, are, we, are, we can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. The vaccine's coming. We're going get, to get through this. We need to do whatever we can to save as many lives as we can uh, and reduce the suffering as much as we can between now and that finish line. Uh, and that's going to take a lot of tough sacrifices, uh, even more so than we've had before, especially now that we're in this huge surge. Uh, any uh, parting words, Dr. Bollinger, you can give to Americans about precautions they should take uh, to avoid the pandemic? Well, I think they just need to remember uh, the, the the rules we've heard from Dr. Fauci. I've got my Fauci uh, <laughs> there you, up here with me. Uh, you know, masking, distancing, avoid crowds. Um, and, uh, and do this because not only you care about yourself, but be care, because you care about your community, your, your family, your neighbors. Do this for, for all of us. Do you think Dr. Fauci will play a role in the Biden administration? Oh, I don't know. He's played a role in the last six administrations. I, I, I okay. think he'll continue to be you know, an inspiration for all of us. Yeah, I hope uh, he, uh, I hope Joe Biden uh, listens to him, whatever his position is, uh, certainly more than the uh, President Trump has, which seems to be next to nothing. Dr. Bollinger, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. 
I know you must be very busy because of the uh, surge in the COVID, and I want to wish you good luck on your endeavors. And uh, I certainly hope uh, that uh, you have some input in the Biden administration's uh, fight against the pandemic. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Brad. We're going to uh, continue with Deadline DC with Brad Bannon after these messages with our provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today are Abdullah uh, Fayed of the Boston Globe and Mark Grimaldi, our progressive political activist. And we'll talk about the uh, Trump uh, clown coup and the Biden transition. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome Follow back. Leslie on Twitter. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, in this half hour, as is our custom, we have a provocative progressive political panel. I'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But first, uh, here's what's on top of, on the top of what's left of my mind today. It's not it's not nearly enough to win. If Democrats want to, Democrats need to win big enough so they can govern effectively. Thankfully, Joe Biden won the Democrat. Thankfully, Joe Biden won. And we can all give some thanks to that on Thanksgiving. But Democratic failures in congressional elections will make it very tough for him to govern effectively. Unless Democrats win both Senate races in Georgia on January 5th, the 46th president will need to accommodate Republican majority leader Mitch McConnell to enact his legislative agenda. This will limit the new president's ability to govern effectively, progressively, and to aggressively tackle the serious problems facing the nation threatened by a raging pandemic and a struggling economy. The biggest voter priority, according to the exit polls, was the economy. And the single biggest issue angle was strong leadership. Republican House candidates scored big on both items and won four times as much support than Democrats among voters who picked the economy and strong leadership as the most important factor in their in their votes. To thrive in the future, Democrats must improve their standing in both areas that are such big concerns for so many voters. You can read the rest of my column and my take up on presidential politics in the Hill every week. Just Google muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon. Our guest today on the provocative uh, progressive political panel is Abdullah Fayyad. He's an opinion writer and editorial board member at the Boston Globe. Previously, he was a researcher at the Atlantic and holds a degree in economics from American University. His Twitter handle is Abdullah uh, underscore Fayyad. That's A-B-D-A-L-L-A-H underscore F-A-Y-Y-A-D. Joining Abdullah on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on get out the vote operations in several Democratic presidential campaigns, including Joe Biden's. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. Welcome to the panel. 
Uh, okay, let's start off with uh, the latest Joe Biden news. Uh, in 58 days, Joe Biden will become president once the uh, Donald Trump uh, clown uh, coup uh, is finally over. Uh, today, we know that uh, we know the composition of Joe, most of Joe Biden's uh, national security team. Uh, his secretary of uh, state will be uh, Tony Blinken, who is a longtime national security aide for Joe Biden back to his Senate days, uh, also worked as deputy secretary of state in the Obama administration under Hillary Clinton. Uh one of the interesting bit of news is uh, Senator Massachusetts, former Massachusetts Senator John Kerry, is going to be uh, the p- new president's climate czar. And I think it's interesting that uh, they announced Kerry's appointment as climate czar as part of his national security team. Uh, we also have some other notable news. Uh, we are going to have our first Latino Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, whose name is Alejandro uh, Mirocas. Uh, this will be interesting because we're going to have an Hispanic uh, set and implement uh, immigration policy for the United States, which I think is a great move on President-elect Biden's part. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the panel. Abdullah, uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, Joe Biden's national security team? I mean, it seems like Joe Biden is making a lot of safe picks right now, people that he's comfortable with, and that has been assuring for some people. Um, but it's also, you know, been some cause for concern for others. Um, so, for example, um, you know, some people are, you know, not thrilled about some of the choices like Michelle Flournoy at defense, um, who has been perceived to be more hawkish um, than other potential picks, for example. But at the same time, none of his picks have been really controversial. Um, it was just announced moments ago. I think the Wall Street Journal uh, got a scoop that Janet Yellen is poised to be uh, the Treasury Secretary. Um, she's a good compromise pick between the moderates and Republicans even, as well as the progressive wing. Obviously, she's not the the Treasury Secretary that progressives were hoping for, um, but she, uh, you know they would have preferred somebody like uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, but she is a good compromise that a lot of people are enthused about. She'll also be the first woman to lead the Treasury Department in American history. Um, so there's definitely going to be a lot of progress made with a lot of uh, Joe Biden's picks for his cabinet um, and his secretary of state. Um, you know, like you said, one of his closest advisors, somebody that he trusts, somebody that people know well around the world. Um, and so, you know, he's he's going with a, a safe cabinet for now. OK, uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on the Biden national security team? Yeah. Um, first of all, nice to have you uh, on the show again, Abdallah. It's always uh, a pleasure. Um, you know, I think you really uh, put the picks in, in uh, a good summary of everything. You know, the way you kind of discussed what obviously, as we saw, if we take a step back to the Democratic primary, was really the left and more, I guess, right or, or middle parts of the Democratic Party were really the, the push and pull of that process. And I think you're seeing, as you have seen um, Joe Biden, President-elect Biden, try to thread the needle between the progressive wing of the party and more moderate wing of the party since um, he won the primary and then won the general election. He was able to bring over um, those progressive voters in uh, higher numbers than uh, former Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton 
Clinton was in 2016. Um, and I think this continues upon that. I also think that there is another factor now, though, that he is having to consider uh, that he did not have to consider uh, during the primary um, for sure and not as much in the general election, which is um, how do you get these uh, nominees approved through um, as of now, um, you know, probably uh, the, if you're a betting person would be through uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republican led Senate um, for those who have to be um, voted upon. And I think like you just pointed out with the breaking news from the Wall Street Journal that uh, his Treasury Secretary choice will be Janet Yellen. She was very uh, successful um, throughout her tenure um, at the Fed. And I think that's somebody that uh, also, when you look at um, the pick for Secretary of State, uh, he was someone who, as of last night, um, was receiving praise from both uh, the former campaign manager for Bernie Sanders' uh, 2020 um, presidential run, as well as members of George W. Bush's uh, administration. So, you know, I think that um, you see these these selections and you see also a balance of diversity, which is something that was sorely missed under the Trump administration and is a continuation of uh, the, the Obama administration. Uh, the, the other thing I'll just I'd like to put an exclamation point on because I think it's a big deal um, is the position that we see with John Kerry, not just as a climate envoy, but uh, he's going to be part of national security um, in the capacity as climate. And that frames that as a priority to show uh, that national security and climate go hand in hand, which they have been, whether, you know, the Trump administration has admitted it or not. So now that you have someone um, with the experience of being former secretary of state and who is prioritized climate, I think that's a really good sign for those, uh, which is a majority of Americans who are concerned about uh, the terrible effects that climate change are having um, on this country and on the planet. Yeah, I think Mark's right. I just want to add, you know, for years, experts have been saying that climate change is the number one threat to uh, number one existential threat to the U.S. It's a national security threat, including former Pentagon chiefs have said many times that climate change is a national security threat. And so to see that be a priority that the Biden administration is planning to take um, is reassuring for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And I think it's fair uh, to say that uh, if you look at uh, Joe Biden's national security team, as announced today, uh, they all have longstanding ties uh, to Joe Biden. Uh, they all served in the Obama administration. Uh, and they also have some, ex in several cases, they have experience uh, serving in the agencies uh, that they're going to head. And they are pretty much safe choices. Uh, I think that's what a lot of people expected from Joe Biden. Uh, and uh, that's what they got. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue our discussion uh, with our provocative progressive political panel uh, after this very short break for our Periscope viewers and a couple of minute break for our radio listeners. But we'll be right back with more of the provocative progressive political panel with Abdullah Fayyad of the Boston Globe and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. 
Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. And here in the middle of our guests on the panel today are Abdullah Fayyad, who is an opinion writer for the Boston Globe, uh, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, let's, uh, do this. Uh, there was a story in the, uh, Washington post, uh, today, this morning, uh, that the Biden economic, and this, uh, fact, you know, this follows a discussion of Jill, Janet Yellen as, uh, as treasury secretary, uh, that the Biden administration is predicting, uh, a double dip recession early next year. Um, and my question to the panel is what can Joe Biden, uh, do to, uh, avoid another recession? We're in the middle of one, I guess, and this would be a double dip recession. Abdullah. Uh, like I was saying, one thing that he could do early, um, is cancel student loan debt for millions. Now, let me of ask you about that. Does he have the authority as president to get, you know, to vacate students, college student loans? Yeah, that's a question that's up in the air right now that some legal scholars have been, um, you know, challenging. But there are a lot of other legal scholars who do believe that he has the authority to do so through the Department of Education, since that's part of the executive branch. So there is the possibility that Joe Biden can cancel tens of thousands, if not more, um, for millions of Americans of student loan debt. Um, beyond that, I mean, they need to pass a new coronavirus relief package. Um, and when there's a new administration in place and a new Congress in place, um, one of the first things that they have to do is pass a new stimulus package, more unemployment benefits, uh, more stimulus checks that go out to Americans. This is something that Republicans have voted for before. This is something that they should do again. Um, it would definitely prevent another terrible uh, recession from happening with you know tens of millions of jobs lost. So that's that's one of the first things he's going to have to do. Okay. Uh, Mark, uh, what do you have in the way of thoughts for the new Biden administration in terms of uh, economic policy and trying to get around Mitch McConnell? Well, one thing I, I would, you know, talk about in addition to what I think are, you know, the, the most obvious choices and the best possible actions immediately uh, for President-elect Biden, which I think Abdallah outlined, you know, very well, uh, would be uh, an infrastructure package. It's something that the uh, President Trump and his administration have emphasized, uh, they've talked about, and other Republicans have spoken out in favor of. And I think that you're going to see, you know, uh, a big push from the districts of these folks because it's a universally popular idea, um, you know, to fix your roads and bridges and also to uh, do something about the climate at the same time. Um, so if you can propose green infrastructure projects, I think that's also a way to um, satisfy, as you were pointing out, Brad, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Now, obviously, getting a package across uh, with Mitch McConnell is, as he's, you know, called himself the Grim Reaper uh, or, you know, of this legislation where democratic ideas go to die. I do think that there's going to be more of a push, though, to get something done, and he's going to feel a lot more heat than he has in the past because not only it, would it be a double-dip recession, Americans are also going to be pretty pissed off um, after losing nearly what it looks like projected by March 
uh, half a million Americans to COVID-19. I think the pressure to get something done is going to be massive, as well as the fact that people can simply point back and say, well, you did, you know, these actions in the CARES Act under the Trump administration. Why are you going to turn around and not do at least that uh, under the Biden administration? Now, obviously, infrastructure was not part of that package. But again, it's something that the Trump administration and congressional Republicans have pushed for. Uh, so I think it's something that you could actually come together on. And I actually thought at the beginning of the Trump administration, if there was any opportunity for bipartisan action, infrastructure looked like the best chance. So um, I think that that is also the case uh, potentially here with the upcoming administration and the upcoming Congress. And obviously you have a much more competent leader uh, who has gotten you know things done in D.C. and worked across the aisle in Vice President Biden. So I would think that that would be the next area that uh, he may want to focus on. Okay, let's try this. Let, let's talk about this transition period here. You know, Donald Trump seems to me, I remember when I was a kid many, many moons ago, I used to play touch football with my friends. And uh, we would play, uh, and uh, one of the teams would win, be winning, and the kid on the losing team, team unfortunately uh it was his football we were playing with he got so frustrated and angry and he was such a sore loser that he took his football and went home so the rest of us couldn't play that to me in a nutshell is donald trump so my question is to the panel how much of a problem it is is it for joe biden that donald trump is not cooperating at all in this transition uh we've got a raging pandemic uh, a shattered economy, and Donald Trump is not lifting a finger uh, to help the new president deal with any of these crises uh, in the next 58 days. And it seems to me we're losing two months of valuable time uh, because the president is a sore loser. I mean, how much of an impact do you think the uh, lack of a, a Trump transition uh, will have on handicapping the Biden administration when they take office in two months? Abdallah? Yeah, I mean, this is not just a problem for the Biden administration. This is a problem for every American. It's also a problem for the entire world. Right now, the president-elect is barred from receiving national security briefings um, that he really should be receiving at this point. He's less than two months away from being sworn in as commander in chief, and he's not getting the briefings that he needs in order to prepare uh, to be commander in chief on January 20th. Um, beyond that, uh, the fact that the Biden transition team cannot work with the current government agencies on, say, vaccine distribution. Um, is going to prompt a lot of problems in the next year when it comes to vaccine distribution. I mean, there are many issues that the Biden transition team needs to be working on right now with current administrators. Even current administrators are saying that they would like to work with the Biden transition team, but they can't right now. Um, you know, so right now, you know, the Biden transition is stuck in a limbo, but, you know, the Trump administration and Trump himself are putting millions of lives at risk um, by not approving this transition from taking place. Okay. Uh, Mark, you want to weigh in here? Yeah. Um, the other news that we have today uh, is that the GSA administrator, Emily Murphy, um, refused to show up uh, to Congress today where she was supposed to testify on we why she is refusing 
um, to put her signature on the transition papers that were agreed to between uh, the Biden team and the Trump team prior to the election. Um, so now the they offered uh, the GSA offered to have their deputy uh, talk to the four heads of uh, Congress next week, and the Democrats refused that offer and said. You know, this is unacceptable. As you pointed out, this is literally costing lives with the pandemic response. Um, you need to be here tomorrow. Uh, they're talking about what their next steps are, whether or not they will try to use a subpoena. Um, but we've, you know, the Trump administration has shown they will ignore subpoenas and just try to run the clock out with litigation. That said, they can uh, bring her uh, to Congress um, coming up and have a much different scenario in January if she decides that she does not want to show up now. Um, so I think at this point, when it's costing lives, you need to take every tool in your toolbox, um, including subpoenas and your subpoena power, and try to utilize those to pressure um Miss Murphy to show up and to explain at least explain why she's not doing her job that she agreed to because as you mentioned it's it's costing lives. Okay. Uh, I want to thank our panel for today, uh, Abdullah Fayed, opinion writer for the Boston Globe, uh, Dr. Robert Bollinger from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, uh, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, I'm here Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If the Lord is willing, the creek don't rise and Donald Trump doesn't declare martial law before he's out the door. This is Bad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay sane if you can while the pandemic rages and Trump is still in the White House. I'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, so find ways to amuse yourselves uh, until then. And I'm sure you probably will. And enjoy Thanksgiving. And wear a mask. Wear a mask. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from. With prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. CVS is helping you stay prepared this cold and flu season. This week, select Zarbi's products are buy one, get one 50% off. Visit CVS or CVS.com today. Restrictions apply. See CVS.com slash weekly ad for details.